We are concluding our Isaiah series today. That's a big deal. We've been studying Isaiah this entire summer, and it has been rich. I have never studied Isaiah deeply before, and I've been personally grateful for the opportunity to study and preach this great book. What a vision of the future God gives Isaiah. It is a vision where there's a new heaven and a new earth in the future, where the people of God are on top and sin and wickedness are gone forever. And we live in right relationship with God and each other, and there are no more, more tears. Uh, there's no pain. It's going to be awesome. And God gives Isaiah this beautiful picture that he passes on to the people of God. And this, this picture of a glorious future has animated our hearts with hope ever since. If you've missed any of the messages, I have good news for you. You can catch up. Clearwaterchurch.com. We have all the sermons there, audio, video. Uh, you, can, you can catch up. And I encourage you to do that because it has been a really rich series. Next week, we have Dave and Karen Eubank from Free Burma Rangers. I got to hear a preview of their message on Sunday, or I'm sorry, Thursday. Powerful, of course. Uh, what a family that is on mission, a family uh, motivated by faith and love. If you've not yet watched the Free Burma Ranger video, do that before Sunday. You can buy it on Amazon Prime. I think it's like $15. And it's worth the money. The money goes to a great ministry. Frankly, I can't believe it's not the number one blockbuster. I was riveted from start to finish. And so um, compelled and enthralled with the love and the faith exemplified uh, in the Free Burma Ranger ministry and in the Eubank family. And I think if you watch that, the Lord might uh, inspire you to invite a friend to come and hear. I don't know how they can't be uh, in, uh, enamored with, uh, won over by this, fa the, this family and this ministry. So, Free Burma Ranger, come next Sunday. They'll be with us. And, uh, and then invite a friend and watch the movie before you come. So, Today, I want to finish Isaiah talking about the anointed one. And I think this is an appropriate way to wrap up the series. Because the anointed one plays a, a very significant role in Isaiah. It's through the anointed one that God is going to bring his salvation. It is through the anointed one that God is going to realize his big purposes for the world, his good purposes for his people. And uh, in Israel, there are, there in, in ancient Israel, three key functions. Uh, the prophet, the priest, and the king. The prophet... The role of the prophet is to represent God to the people. And so the prophet speaks the words of the Lord to the people so that the people accurately understand who God is and his will. Okay, prophet represents God to the people. The priest represents the people to God. The priest makes sacrifices on behalf of the people. 
because the people are sinful and the animal sacrifices cover the sin so that God can relate to his sinful people. And the, and the priest intercedes uh, on behalf of the people with God. And then there is the king, and the king's job is to ensure that justice and righteousness prevail in the land. Now, in Israel, the problem was there had never been a perfect priest, prophet, or king. They were humans with their human failures, and, and because of their weaknesses, they never fulfilled their functions properly. And as a result, Israel as a nation was in constant turmoil because rather than living in right relationship with God and each other and receiving uh, and, uh, the blessings of God, and, and they were, seemed to be continually under the discipline of the Lord. They were being judged because of their sin. And so Isaiah promises that God is going to send one who will perfectly fulfill the functions of prophet, priest, and king, the anointed one. Another term for that is Messiah. The Messiah means anointed one. God is going to send the Messiah, and the Messiah will perfectly represent God to the people. He will perfectly intercede, uh, uh, rep, uh, mediate between the people and God, and he will ensure that justice and righteousness is the is the rule of the land. And so, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to just read a few of the uh, passages in Isaiah talking about the anointed one. There, it's just a sampling. There's lots more in Isaiah. But just, to, just by way of reminder, how, how prominent the coming anointed one is in Isaiah's vision of the future. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Okay, there's going to be someone born, so a person who's going to be the ruler of God's people. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wait, this can't just be a mere human because you don't call humans Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That's blasphemous. So this is God in flesh. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So an, an ongoing permanent rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the Lord the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this so the anointed one is going to be the king who brings about justice and righteousness in the land in Isaiah chapter 11 verse uh, three or two we read and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth 
So the anointed one, the Messiah is going to be the perfect judge. He doesn't have to rely on his, his senses, his eyes and ears to decide what is just and right. He has the spirit of the living God and the wisdom of God and the insight of God. In Isaiah chapter 53, uh, we are told that the Messiah is going to absorb the sins of the people. He is going to sacrifice himself to pay the penalty for our sin. We read in Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in chapter 59, we read about how the Messiah, the anointed one, is going to destroy the wicked and judge them for their wickedness. Verse 18 of Isaiah 59, According to their deeds... So will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. And then in chapter 61, we read that the, the Messiah is going to transform the people. The people who have never before been able to obey God perfectly. He's going to transform them into oaks of righteousness. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, verse 1, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. No wonder the, the people of God longed for the coming of the Messiah, right? When Jesus entered the scene 700 years later, there was a messianic fervor in the land. The Romans occupied Palestine. The people of God were, were underneath their terrible yoke, and they were crying out that God would send the promised Messiah. Please come, because they wanted to be saved. They wanted to experience all that God had promised them through Isaiah and the other prophets. And Jesus here, in fact, if you want to write this down, here is the big idea for today. The big idea for today is this. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the one foretold by the prophets. The one through whom God will bring about salvation and his big, great purposes for the world. 
Jesus is the Savior God had always intended from before he created the world. He intended to send his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come and rescue us. The end result is for uh, our joy and the glory of God. But the fact of the matter is the majority of the Jewish people in Jesus' day did not recognize him as the Messiah. They did not receive him as the anointed one. They, in fact, rejected him. And why is that? Well, one of the reasons is because they expected that when the Messiah came, he would instantaneously bring about all of the salvation talked about in Isaiah. And they did not understand and they, or they were not willing to accept the fact that Jesus was bringing about the salvation in stages. Jesus came a first time and he began the messianic age and he began the salvation. He accomplished a lot in his first coming and he's coming again. And in his second coming he will bring to pass the fullness or the rest of the salvation. But for the Jewish people in Jesus' day, they, they said, hey, Jesus came and he went and the Romans are still in the land. And we don't see the full picture of salvation painted by Isaiah to have been realized. So how in the world can Jesus be the Messiah? Now, Pastor James has talked about this uh, a few times during this series using the illustration of a mountain range. And so he says, you know, if you look back at the Chugach Mountains and you pick out a peak and you say, I'm going to go climb that peak. Um, you see the mountain range, but you almost certainly have no idea how far away that really is and what, what's between you and that mountain. Most likely there are a bunch of false peaks and big valleys and all kinds of topography that you can't see. And so it is with Isaiah the prophet. Uh, God has given him a, uh, the big picture vision of salvation. He has painted that picture like a big mountain range. The, this, is, this is what God is going to bring about through the anointed one. But Isaiah didn't see uh, how exactly it was going to roll out. He had no idea that there would be a first coming and a second coming and a church age in between. And, but Jesus did. Jesus did. In Luke chapter 4, the gospel writer, Luke, tells us about a time in Jesus' life when he's in his hometown, Nazareth. It's Sabbath. He's in the synagogue. And at this point in his life, he's become recognized as a, as a rabbi, a religious teacher. And so they give him the opportunity to read from the sacred scroll, and, and uh, talk about it, preach. And so they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. Boom. Jesus then opens Isaiah, and he purposefully finds Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, we just read this. And he reads the first two verses in Isaiah 61. 
He reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped. And he looked out at the people and he said, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus identified himself as the anointed one, as the Messiah. But I want, what I want you to notice is where he stopped reading, because he stopped kind of mid-clause. He stopped at to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this has been fulfilled. The very next line is, and the day of vengeance of our God. Why did Jesus not read that? Because Jesus understands, understood that in his first coming, he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it wasn't going to be until his second coming that he comes with the vengeance of God. So Jesus will return. And in his second coming, he rides a white horse. He's the mighty warrior. He is the judge of the world. And when that day comes, when Jesus returns, boom, his hand goes down on the big game over button. And you have no more opportunity to say yes to God and to receive the good news and have your sins forgiven and be reconciled to the Lord and have heaven become your destiny. When Jesus returns, it's game over. The decisions that you have made up until then determine your eternal destiny. But in his first coming, Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came to proclaim good news that the captive can go free. The brokenhearted can be healed. Uh, your sins can be forgiven. You can be reconciled to God through faith in me. In Jesus' first coming, he preached the good news of the kingdom is at hand. He lived the righteous life that you and I could not live that could be credited to our account. He hung upon the cross and there he absorbed the sins of the whole world. He paid the, the penalty for the sins of the whole world. He burst forth from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for the believer. He sent down his Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and counsel and comfort and to empower us to live a life that pleases the Lord. All that was accomplished in the first coming of Christ, which was notable and awesome. Our lives, uh, we, we are being saved. We are being saved as Christians. But there is a part of our salvation that has not yet been realized. The picture that Isaiah paints about a future existence where there is a new heaven and a new earth and the corruption that uh, has infected this, this heaven and earth will be gone and where uh, sin will be gone and, and there will be only love for God and love for neighbor and no more pain and sorrow. That still hasn't yet to come. That, will, that part of our salvation will not be realized until the second coming. The second coming. And so the Christian, uh, 
this Christian uh, praise, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we long for the fullness of our salvation, right? We appreciate what we have in Jesus now, and we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we want the whole package. We're look, we, want the, we want to be in the mountain peak enjoying the fullness of God's salvation. But right now, right now is the year of the Lord's favor. It's the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, sometimes we call it the church age. And it's the time in which we, the church, go out into all the world and we preach the good news that you can be saved, that your sins can be forgiven, heaven can become your destiny, you can get right with God. And that's the whole purpose of the church. That's why, that's why we exist. And, and the time is limited. The Bible says Jesus could return at any moment. He could return today, and when he returns, boom, it's game over. There's no more uh, opportunity to receive the good news. The year of the Lord's favor is over, and now it's the day of vengeance. Do you understand that? You understand that we have a limited amount of time to go out and offer the good news to our neighbors and our families and, our, and, our, and the world around us. The, Jesus will return. Just like he came once, he's going to come again, and then it's over. There's no more opportunity. So as a result, we need to be um, skillful and energetic and bold and on mission as a church to get out the good news. Jesus is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the perfect prophet because he is God in flesh, perfectly representing God to us. Every word he speaks is the very word of God. His life is God. Jesus is the perfect prophet. Jesus is the perfect priest. He makes intercession for the believer, and God is going to listen to him because he, he is the Son of God. And he offered the perfect sac sacrifice. He himself was the sacrifice. Animal sacrifices could not atone for our sin. They simply could cover it. Jesus, his life was an actual atonement. He paid the price for our sins. He's the perfect prophet, and he's the perfect king who will reign in righteousness and justice. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. When Jesus is the ruler of the whole earth, uh, the people of God will be forever blessed. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22. I want us to look at the last three verses of Isaiah. So it's been a long, a long book, 66 chapters. Here are the last three verses. It's always significant how somebody ends, right? It's important. And Isaiah ends with the final, the, the vision of how the world will ultimately wind up, the, the final picture. And here's what we read. Now it's God speaking, and God says this. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make 
shall remain before me, says the Lord. Isaiah has already told us that this world will get burned up and there will be a new heaven and a new earth created. And it's going to remain, which means the new heaven and the new earth will be permanent and will last forever and ever. For as the new heaven and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. The farthest off future that Isaiah sees because of the insight God gives him is a new heaven and a new earth populated with people who are worshiping the Lord. All flesh will worship me, which means there is no one in the new heaven and the new earth who is in rebellion against God. Only those who have submitted to God and received his son Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Those are the people who will inhabit heaven. And it's going to go on and on and on and on and on. And there's Isaiah has articulated other aspects about heaven, how awesome it is, how perfect it is, without uh, sin, without sorrow, without pain of any sort. And you want to be there. You want to be there. See, this is an offer that God makes during the year of favor to all people on the planet, no matter the color of the skin, the age, their age, where they live, their education, their economic status, doesn't matter. If you're a human created in the image of God, you can be in heaven. That's the good news. Repent of your sins, put your faith in God's Son, Jesus, make Him Lord and Savior of your life, and you're going to be in heaven. This will be you. But then there's 24, the very last verse in Isaiah. His final word, the final picture he leaves us with, and it's significant. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. There's a heaven in the future. You can be there, but there's also a hell. And there will be people in hell. All those who have rebelled against me. All those who during the year of the Lord's favor said no thank you to Jesus. And even if your no thank you is polite, no thank you, it's still no. Right? You can do the shake your fist in God, I hate you, no, I do not want Jesus, and you can be super polite and say, oh, no, thank you, I don't think I need that. It's still no, and that's still rebellion. Because God has commanded all people to repent and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. So there's a heaven, but there's a hell. And every person who has ever lived, ever lived, including you, including me, is going to be somewhere in that 
picture. You're either going to be in heaven or you're going to be in hell. Only one of those two places. And you get to decide where you are going to be. You have all the power. No one else can make that choice for you. And no one can take away your choice. No one will be in hell because their parents were bad parents. No one's going to be in hell because they grew up on the wrong side of the street. No one's going to be in hell because the government that they lived under was corrupt. You go, if you go to hell, you go to hell for one reason, because you said no to God's offer of salvation in Jesus Christ, period. It's on you. You have 100% power. God gives you that power. He gives you that control. He gives you that freedom. You get to decide. The Messiah, the anointed one, has done everything necessary to make salvation available to you. And it's been preached to you, and you have a choice. Jesus, in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, warns us like this. And he's clearly got Isaiah in mind. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Quote, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And he's quoting Isaiah there. Jesus understood that there is a heaven and a hell. And he wants us to be in heaven with him and not in hell. John chapter 3, verse 16, most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world. There's his heart. What's his heart? He so loved the world that he gave his only heart, his only son. His heart is so big that he was willing to sacrifice. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Elsewhere in scripture we read, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his heart. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, praise God. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What condemns you to hell? Failing to believe in the Son of God. Saying no, no thank you to the Messiah, to Jesus, to the good news, to the gospel. So I think this is a fitting conclusion to Isaiah. Isaiah is an encouraging picture of the salvation God is going to bring about. And the people of God are cheered and encouraged by this vision. And the salvation is going to come through the Messiah. 
and then the Messiah is Jesus. But you don't benefit, you don't get to participate in that salvation unless you are united with Christ by faith. And, and you have to believe. Otherwise, you are separated from him, and he will return again, and when he returns, you are judged as one who has rebelled and said no to the gospel, and hell becomes your destiny. And, and God does not want that for you. I do not want that for you. I want heaven to be your home. So would everybody bow her head and heart and his head and heart? <clears throat> the, choice, the choice is ours. You have heard the good news. You're now accountable. You cannot leave here today without having made a choice. If you, if you have not made the choice to say yes to Jesus, you, by default, have said no to Jesus. And you don't know how much time you have. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Jesus could return at any moment. And then it's game over. No more time. No, no more opportunity. Now is the year of, of favor. Get right with God before that day of vengeance comes. There aren't any magical words. God sees your heart. And John, we're told, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become children of God. So, but I'm going to give you some words. If you, if you want some words, uh, pray something like this. How about after me, pray. God, I want you. I want your salvation. I want heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I, I admit I'm a sinner, that I've been independent from you. I, I turn away from that. I repent of that. I receive Jesus to be my Savior. And Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let God, I'm going to let Jesus lead my life. Because that's going to, I'm going to follow him. And he's going to take me all the way to heaven. That's worth it. I want it. Lord, I don't want to sin anymore. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to please you. Help me to be a Christian. Take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen. Aren't any magical words, but if you pray that and you meant it the best, you, you know how God sees that and he honors that. He honors that. You have said yes to Jesus and you're going to be with him in heaven. Now, you, if you've made that decision, then you need to share it with somebody. Share it with the person who brought you to church. They're going to only rejoice with you, want to pray with you, want to help you take your first steps in following Jesus. I always love it as a pastor when people tell me because uh, it, it sort of just encourages me to keep preaching. I'd like to give you some uh, helps in how to follow Jesus. So make sure you tell somebody. And uh, would you please stand and we're going to continue worshiping the Lord in song.